Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I'm Derek Riley. I'm not with Charlie Smith. He's been hogtied to a bottle of tequila. But welcome to Dirty Water, an hour of swinging discourse where opinion rains down in fast, vicious swoops and where facts rarely display their fuzzy grey teeth. Today's guest on Dirty Water was raised on porous hell Madagascar, where three quarters of the population live on two bucks a day. His parents managed the hotel Lulacanovetso while he roamed the fishing village, surfing when he could, without the interruption of school. There was one television at the hotel and one surfing VHS cassette, searching for Tom Curran. Our guest watched it every day for four years. The only surfing he saw was his dad and random fishermen sliding into a few after work. His dad knew the kid was something special, and when he was nine, he was sent, alone to France, to compete in the Quicksilver World Pro Juniors there. Our guest won the under-12s, and he won the under-14s. Quicksilver signed him on the spot. 20 years later, and after 13 seasons on the WCT, he's a Rookie of the Year, a two-time Pipeline Master, and one-time winner of the Tahiti Pro and Quicksilver Pro France. In post-heat interviews, our guest gives out more heat than a goat's butt in a pepper patch, and given his fearsome reputation, if he would lift his own kimono, you'd imagine it to reveal a pair of black silk panties, exquisitely embroidered with fire-shooting dragons. He is all guns, and he's all fun. Our guest, of course, is Jeremy Flores. How's, how's Tahiti life, Jeremy? Uh, Tahiti life is good. Honestly, uh, hard to do better. It's, uh, it's as good as it gets. Um, you know, when you love surfing, when you love uh, island, island style, and you have uh, all your friends here, and you like good waves, then that's the spot. Because uh, we've been scoring some epic waves. Like yesterday, I had my first session, let's say a little kind of junky waves. It's the first time I did like a couple of snaps and turns in like probably in like two months, just been <laughs> barrels after barrels after swell. Like almost too much because it's like um it's like ten foot plus every week over here. It's like <laughs> it's nonstop. Like sometimes you just you just wanna have a break, you're like, holy shit, here it comes again, you check out the forecast and you see another fifteen foot swell coming, you're like, all right. Like you just no choice. You've gotta be out there and gotta be ready. <laughs> so where have you been surfing? That's, this shit though. <laughs> Where have you been surfing, Jess? I've been surfing at Chopu a lot. And um, just been surfing and there's many other different spots too around, like a kind of more uh, more uh, underground uh, spots around the island. Um, you know, places where it's uh, less crowded and uh, because it's crazy. All these swell at Chopu was, you know, the waves were amazing, but there's all these new generation kids, they're 14 year old, 14 years old, 15, 16, there's like six or seven of them. They charge so hard and they, um, they're, they're good. And they're like, like animals, honestly. So you're out there and it's kind of freakish, you know, you're like, holy shit, this kid's 14 and he's like pretty much, pretty much like taking you on, you know? <laughs> so I just try to find a little other spots and kind of more mellow and so I can just surf on my pace. What's what's this kid? Uh, I see him all the time on Instagram. His name's Emo or Elio or who's that? Emio, yeah, Emio. Emio is a is a kid that's been living in Tahiti for a while now. Uh, he's really good tube rider. He's, um, he's he lives right there at the point at Chopu, so he surfs there every day. So there's him and there's um, there's 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 like five or six young kids from from Chopu 
are really, really good. Um, like all these kids are under 18 and they're, they're as good as it gets. Like they can they definitely, when this, when the swell's on, they're outstanding, you know, like, 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 like rattling almost <laughs> how good they are. <laughs> so, uh, um, so where else have you been um, surfing in the island? I, I guess you probably can't name names, but there's an amazing left-hander just out of town, isn't there? The, the clearest water. Uh, yeah. To be honest, man, there's waves everywhere, but it's there's so many like underground, like little spots, kind of like secret spots. So there's a lot of spots that that you know uh, we never shoot also because try to you know preserve and try to 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 uh, to keep it that way. But then um, there's some spots that just they're just not as pho photogenic as Chopu, but they're probably just as good. So just kind of like all around the islands uh, on the east side there's a lot of slabs that bodyboarders have been surfing and we got we got some good waves there too um and on the west side like just just around chopu there's so many other break wow how long so how long have you been in tahiti for been living here for probably three or four years now because uh, my girlfriend's tahitian and uh we had a little baby girl and uh, she's born in tahiti and, uh, you know, ever since all the drama and all the crisis that's gone on in Reunion Island, it's just impossible to, to move and to live there anymore for, for me. You know, I mean, I need to be in the water. I need to be in the ocean every day. I, need, I want my kid to grow up in the ocean every day. So, it's, yeah, it's, it's really sad what's going on in Reunion. And um, so, so right now, it's, you know, I think Tahiti is the best, uh, the best lifestyle and the best balance because it's French. Um, Good waves all year. Uh, it's in the Pacific, so not too far from uh, you know from all these events that we have at the start, at the beginning of the year in Australia and stuff. And uh, so it's it's cool. I really like it here. So let's I guess let's talk about sharks and reunion because after they created that marine park on that 10k stretch on the west coast, it went went fucking crazy with shark attacks. I mean, the sharks are almost walking up the beach and taking kids out of prams now. So um, I remember you telling me a few years ago that when you visit Reunion, you don't even bring a board. Yeah, well, you know, there's still guys, I still have friends that surf in Reunion, even though it's prohibited. You know, I mean, fuck, when you're a surfer, you know, I'm lucky enough to be, be able to travel around the world, surf everywhere, but some of my friends are not, not as lucky. They're just stuck in Reunion and, and um, you know, whenever they can, they, they try go surfing. So... Uh, they try stick together. They try um, go surfing when the water's clear. Um, you know, middle of the day, not so early, not too late. They try to take uh, as much as precaution as possible. But honestly, the 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 risk, the percentage of risk of getting attacked is way too high um, over there at the moment. Um, and it's not really getting better, to be honest. Um, so it's it's just becoming is it's become a, a political problem now which is really sad because playing with the life of you know of, of our children our kids our brothers and and uh and the full economy around the island and and it seems like it's just become so political that it's there's there's all these um um these ong these organizations that go there and make a profit and make the most of this situation to um to uh, to make money you know out of this whole this whole disaster and it's it's really sad so i've you know i've i've um i've raised you know my voice many times about the problem over there it's definitely complicated um but something that i always wanted to to show also is reunion island surfers 
the community of surfers are, are, um, love the ocean more than anyone, you know? And um, when you hear medias around the world and a lot of, especially in France, you know, they talk about Iranian surfers like they're some kind of criminals for going surfing or for being shark killers. No, no Iranian island surfers ever, ever killed a shark. I mean, that's, that's just not us. I mean, all the surfers, you know, we, all the real surfers that, you know, grew up in, um, in the ocean, on the beach, like, we know what to do to respect. We, we learn every day. Uh, we, we just love Mother Nature. And it's just sad to have this reputation uh, from, from media that, to be honest, don't know shit about, about Iranian Island and, and, and come to, to a conclusion, to a really, really quick and immature conclusion. So can you, can you describe the situation for reunion? Because it's very specific. It involves bull sharks. It's not like other places in the world, like South Africa and Australia and California with great whites. So it's very specific. In your opinion, what, what happened after that creation of the, uh, the marine park on the West Coast? Yeah, so, you know, Iranian Islands, um, uh, you always have a risk, no matter where you are, Iranian, Hawaii, Australia, South Africa, everywhere, you know, you can get attacked by, you can get attacked by a shark, that's, that's, that's just the way it is, it's, a, it's, a, which we just have to live, except Iranian, um, about, about 15, 10, 15 years ago, um, people from overseas, so people from mainland, which is like France, Paris, came to Iranian and, and, um, and installed this reserve, this uh, marine reserve uh, on the um, on the on the west coast, where which which is where all the hotels, all the waves, all the surfers, all the main beaches are. A um, few years after, there's time to be one attack, two, three, four at the exact location where they put the the marine reserve. Um, I guess we didn't see it coming because because we didn't know, you know, I mean, we, you know, at first you hear about doing a protected area for fish to reproduce and you're like, oh, that's a pretty cool idea, except it actually did the, the opposite, uh, in my point of view. Um, all the other islands around Reunion, like uh, Mauritius, uh, Madagascar, Seychelles, Rodrigue, they, they pretty much, uh, you know, they live off the economy, the tourism economy. So whenever shark comes close to the shore, they reject them, they kill them. So all the shark um, migrated in Reunion Island. And when they did, they did in Reunion Island in that little zone where the marine reserve, because there was no fishermen, there was no threats for them. So they, repro they reproduced, they reproduced a lot on this little, this little zone. And what, what it did, it, there were so many of them that they started attacking and they started killing every species in the in the zone so all the sh uh, reef sharks stingrays i mean uh turtles uh every kind of uh fish that are essential for the ecosystem for the ecosystem um and bull sharks you know if you know about bull sharks there are species that are not protected if they're not protected it's because they're actually bad for the ecosystem because they they actually attack and kill a lot of the um, a lot of the main uh, main uh, species that are uh, for you know for the for the ecosystem the most important ones um, so what happened is they pretty much destroyed the whole area so they started attacking human and uh, and now when there has been a lot of sharks uh, tagged 
and you kind of follow the, the, the sharks that are, are being tagged and you see that they just, they just float around that whole area and just wait for something to happen. So whenever a beach opens and sharks just go straight to that main beach and they just, they just, it's kind of like a horror movie, really what's going on over there. It's, and it's complicated because I'm, I'm, I'm nowhere near a scientist, but there's been so many scientists that's been living there and making a lot of money out of the situation with absolutely zero progress about what's going on. So I understand it's hard. I understand it's, it's complicated, but I just feel like the Iranian surfers have just been completely forgotten. And, um, you know, when you're a surfer, like, I, I don't think anyone can disagree with me on that. It's a lifestyle, you know, like being in the water, catching a couple of waves just makes you a better person. It's just, it's just healthy. You know, it's healthy for, for, for everything, for, mentally for all the, the kids instead of um, now you see a lot of the new generation kids in reunion that are not as lucky as we were to spend time in the ocean they they do a lot of drugs they party way too hard i have a lot of friends that just like i've, I've seen them lately and they just pasty and just look like they just they've been in prison for the last five ten years and that's because they just prohibited of going in the ocean imagine that like you know like all of us all of us when 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 we get through and we love the ocean when we love this lifestyle just being on a small small tiny island and not being able to go in the ocean that's like for me that's that's a nightmare you know what's what's going through so there's there is a lot of people in Iranian that's that's still fighting to to try to get things going try to get things moving but it's complicated because as i say it's become a political problem and and you know, I found out that this whole political world is is disgusting because there's there's no really it's all about money at the end of the day, which is really bad. You know, I just hope you know, just like here in Tahiti, just like everywhere, you just let the locals uh, take care of of their own problem. You know, uh, Rainian surfers, fishermen, they never killed shark. No one's ever want to kill sharks. You know, it's, it's never been the case, but fishermen needs to eat, fishermen needs to work. You know, you just don't need people from overseas, from mainland coming in to tell us what to do, you know, tell, tell the, 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 the older generation what to do. And that's, I think that's been the main problem. So it's actually prohibited to go surfing at a lot of places, huh? In reunion. Well, reunion is officially prohibited to go, to go not only surfing, but swimming in most areas, except the protected areas with like a tiny little net. Which is, which is pretty fucking wild. You live on a tropical island and you can't go on the water. Imagine that. And you know what? Those same people that, that, those same people that, have, that, that are saying, you know, like, we hear it all, over and over again, you know, ah, surfers just for their fun. If you don't want to go surfing or all the swimmers, you don't want to go in the ocean, go in the lagoon because there's no, no fear in the lagoon. But what's going to happen in the lagoon if those 10,000, 15,000 people that's, that used to swim every day in the, that little zone, if you put all of them in a small, tiny lagoon, the lagoon's going to be destroyed. It's going to kill the whole ecosystem of the lagoon. I mean, everything they say just doesn't make sense. You know, it's just, it's, it's really frustrating. And the last couple of years, I've kind of stepped back a little bit because I, it, you know, it's taken me a lot of energy, this, this whole thing. And, and to be honest, I've been disgusted by the whole system and uh, the whole thing. The thing is, it's it's really sad because I've really lost some 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 brothers and 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 uh, friends that are really close. So um, 
it's uh yeah you know i guess i guess and i hope i hope they, they won't they they haven't they haven't uh, um uh, they haven't died for nothing and i've heard and i hope the the fight continues to 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 find a solution to live between fish sharks humans you know Rainian island uh, community love nature love the ocean just as much as all of us you know so i just don't see why why we we shouldn't take um why why it shouldn't shouldn't get better it's interesting, you know, for people who come from, you know, Australia and, and America, Hawaii, even, and, and Europe, I don't think they understand the extent of the problem. I've got a couple of friends from uh, Reunion and, and they, they brought the kids over to Australia because they were, um, didn't want to get the kids eaten by sharks. And he had his school bag and it had Rip, um, Elio, Rip, da-da-da-da. And I thought, oh, his buddies are all shredders, they're all surf, but they're actually rest in peace, da-da-da, rest in peace, so on. There's been so many people killed. And when, um, I think it was Elio uh, Canestri, I think he was 13, he was killed in the middle of the day, three foot waves, you know, amongst his friends. And you would think that would be the tipping point where you go, okay, cool. Maybe there is an imbalance of, of you know, sharks and, uh, and shark interactions. Well, yeah, the, the issue in, in Reunion is, um, the problem in Reunion is like nowhere else in the world really, because it's a different, you know, um, Australia has issues with shark attacks, but it's different. The bull sharks, bull sharks are, uh, if you look at the percentage of uh, uh, bull shark attacks, like most most of them are, are, are fatal. Um, that's the difference, you know. Um, tiger sharks, uh, great whites, they're more curious sharks. So, of course, you can get attacked by one of these sharks, but they're, they're more curious species. Bull sharks just bull, bull sharks don't fuck around. They they kill to attack, you know. They they kill to 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 kill and once they've they've tasted um human uh meat human blood that they, they'll come back and that's that's what's really scary and what's even more scary is that's a species that's killing not humans but every main species that are essential for the for the environment like reef sharks when i grow up in rain and there's reef sharks everywhere you see reef sharks all the time you see all kind of sharks all the time and there's that's that that's sweet but now that the that the bull sharks have, have migrated in this little zone it's absolutely destroyed everything and that's why it's kind of um, i just i just see this whole situation being because it, it's easy to read the title and say surfers want to kill sharks so they can go back in the ocean but that, that's so not the case you have to understand the problem and um and and you know what with uh, people in Reading have come with the idea of doing a, a long, long nets so you can have at least a few beaches. So it, it happened for a couple of years. So you had long nets with a couple spots, not the best spots, but a couple spots where kids could go back in the ocean, surf, swim, bodyboard, anything. And there's been some, um, some organizations, greenies, that say that that's bad for the environment. But what happened is when those nets were happening for two years, there was actually a lot of uh, species that were uh, reproducing inside the net because they were protected from the bull sharks. And that's the part that, you know, that, I don't know, I'm, like I say, again, I'm, I'm nowhere near a scientist, you know, I've never been to school, but it's not that hard to understand that there's an imbalance, there's a serious imbalance in reunion. And 
something needs to get done and you know some real scientists need to work on the on the problem because so far the ones that, that have come over there haven't haven't done shit and they live really well you see them they have beautiful house on the beach they have beautiful cars and they've been living there for years and years and supposed to they 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 are supposed to understand the problem and it's just nothing happening so i'm starting to think that maybe they they don't really want anything to get better because life is pretty easy for them right now Maybe they just want to push real estate prices down on the beachfront property so they can get this sweet house for nothing because no one, uh, no one wants to be near the ocean. It's all paid by the government. It's all paid for everything. So that's why it's all messed up. It's, it's really messed up. Like, like kids, are, kids are doing drugs on the street now. Kids are, 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 becoming, are going in the dark, dark road, dark side because they, they're not allowed to go in the ocean. Imagine that. Like, it's, it's fucking terrible. Terrible. And there's a shit ton of weed on Reunion too, huh? Ooh-wee. Uh, Reunion, yeah, Reunion has got some some pretty bad issues uh, uh, with many things, huh? like a lot of a um, lot of uh, poverty. Um, it's uh, you know like the the fishermen's. You no, know, a lot of lot, a lot of families have, have had nothing left since fisher, fishing was prohibited when they installed the, this marine reserve. I mean. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of issues, but you know what? I have nothing against Marine Reserve. I just think where they, where they did it in Reunion, at that, in that zone, was a mistake. And no one saw it coming, but now that, you know, looking back, it was 100% a mistake. And what's, what's, uh, what, what I have a problem with is this, they don't want to get rid of it. So it's still happening. Do you think it's partly because decision makers and politicians in Paris see it through a, through a very idealized lens that they think, um, you know, the, the ocean is for sharks, very simplistic that the ocean is for sharks and we don't understand why surfers have a problem. Yeah. Which, which I understand when you don't know the real problem, I understand I'm all that. Like, I mean, if I wasn't, if I didn't know the, the, you know, the, the whole situation, the whole problem, I'd just read, you know, a couple of lines in the article about, uh, surfers want to go back surfing uh, and get rid of all the sharks. I'd be like, fuck that. Like, this is wrong. It is wrong. But that's not the case. Like, we're talking about and one species of shark, which is bull sharks, that are killing pretty much everything that's, that's, that's essential for, um, for, um, for our environment. So, and, you know, every idea that we've come, came up with have been stopped by by a um, few organizations that so basically you're just not allowed to go in the ocean and that's it so ocean is banned surfing is banned just just uh economies restaurants hotels and all these uh are, are gone down jobs are, are lost lives are lost and i guess that's sweet for for them which is which is uh which is a big problem do they still have the uh, Vigirica, the um, the divers that hang around? Do they still have the Vigirica with yeah. the? Yeah, they do. They have a so they call the Vigis. Uh, they um, so that's for uh, a small amount of surfers, which are so the uh, surfers that are, uh, are licensed in the in a in a club, you know, in a surf club, and uh, so um, there is probably like three or four sesh a week, depending on the conditions. Some weeks, if, uh, if, if it's too, 
if the water's um, kind of dirty or if the wet, the swell's too big, like some kids won't surf for a while, but they do have a couple of sessions here and there with, uh, with boats, uh, making sure um, they're, uh, they're uh, how do you say, like boat making sure they, they're watching over the surfers with, um, there's also some uh, um, swimmers, um, underwater swimmers that are making sure with cameras and everything. So it's a pretty big uh, uh, logistic uh, to make sure these surfers are safe, these young surfers are safe. But yeah, if that wasn't that, then surfing in Reunion would be 100% dead by now. Yeah, it's a pretty, it's pretty wild job the visual car where they, they sit on the bottom with their, their spear guns and cameras, huh? They just watch for bull sharks. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, that's, that's the only way. There's, uh, so let's say it's a peak, so it's a right and left. So you're going to have like two, two swimmers on the, on the right, two swimmers on the left, one out the back with a boat, so with a Zodiac, with a, a Zodiac that has a, a sounder. Uh, so it's, it sees every big species that's coming close to the area. And uh, you you also have a drone that's flying over the over the peak to make sure if they see uh, some something big coming their way. And it's happened many times that they, something came their way and they uh, they shoot this uh, they shoot this this um, I say you know um, where uh, like this like red smoke in the air yeah. you know they shoot this red smoke in the air and that's the alarm to for the surface coming. Fucking hell, it's pretty, um, pretty wild what you have to do huh, to go surfing. Imagine, and you know, when you love surfing, it's, you do whatever you, you can. And a lot of surfers also surf with uh, these shark shields thing. You know, it's like this bracelet they put. So, so far, um, so far, you know, thanks God, there's never been any attack on, on, on any of those wearing uh, the shark shields. And hopefully it stays that way. Um, but I don't know, I, I just... A lot of surfers and a lot of young and parents also are are just um, uh, terrorized by the ocean now. You know, they've seen their friends like getting get killed right by then at the peak, like young kids. And you imagine that's like terrorized, ter terrifying for your. You'll remember that image for the your rest of your life. So, so yes, um, you know, the last time I went raining, and I, you talk to kids, it's just not the same you talk to kids and they look at you and you know you talk what's up guys and stuff and you just feel sorry you just feel sorry because kids just don't they've just lost this passion that we've all had about surfing the passion about you know um uh like you know bailing on school to go catch some wave with your mates or like going for an early and and scoring perfect wave and screaming at each other and coming in and you know getting chicks on the beach and stuff like that it's just that's just not it anymore and that's it's uh, it's terrible because you want you want kids to have this kind of life. I mean, this is life. This is what's fun about what we do. This is what's fun about surfing. That's why we start surfing. So some some of us are lucky to become professional, but even the ones that just surfing for pure love, I mean, you get you you, you take away surfing from these guys and these just become crazy. You just have mental mental Ill illness, you know. So how many people do you know have been attacked by sharks? Three. One was Mathieu Schiller. Mathieu Schiller was, uh, he was actually one of the best uh, European bodyboarder uh, uh, back in the days. And he was one of, he used to, he used to crash at our place when I was a kid and, and my dad used to take care of him a bit. And it was like, 
it's a small surfing community, so everyone knows each other. And the year he got attacked in uh, on the beach where I actually I was born, where I started surfing in Bukong Kanot, and uh, and they never found his body. Uh, that was that was quite recent, wasn't it? A few years ago. No, that was that was a while ago. That was like I was probably like seven, eight years ago. Right, okay. maybe even more. Yeah, yeah, that was a while. And that's the most gorgeous beach imaginable. It's one of, one of the prettiest beaches on earth, huh? And a fun, super fun little waves. That's the one. That's Bukokana. That's where I grew up. And that's where my friend, he's like an older brother. That's where he got attacked. That's the beach. When you look at, you look at it's like, it's the kind of beach you, you see postcards of these kind of beaches. Crystal blue, clear water, perfect, fun little waves. People everywhere on the beach. You know, there's, it's, it's, it's just uh, like it's paradise, really. So what happens now? You go down the beach, everyone just sits on the sand and sweats. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And it's just, it's not the same. It's, uh, you know, last time I went there, I was, I was heartbroken everywhere I went, all the beach, you know, everywhere I go, it's like, a, it brings back memories of where you're a kid and everything, all the stuff that you've done on this beach and the waves you caught and you go there, it's just empty. And it's just like, a, it's just a dead zone. It's sad. It's really sad. And your your dad was um, pretty involved in getting getting nets uh, on reunion, is that right? Yeah, he did. He, he got involved into politics, which 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 he was never a politician, but he um, uh, he did get involved to try get things moving. And man, you know what? The the last few years, I've been begging for him to stop because he was just putting so much effort into it and so much heart into it. Because, but when you're against a whole government that's pretty much laughing at you and now at, at, at this issue, then it's hard to take. So um, you put a lot of effort into trying to get things going, trying to get things better. Um, and man, it, it really, it was really hard. It was hard for him and hard for all of us because it's kind of just, it's kind of, it's kind of ruining like a whole family vibe because it's just so intense. And, and all this, you do it in memory of our, our lost brothers and stuff. And, and and then you just and then you that's that's why you just kind of see the that this whole political world is is disgusting and it's all about money and if you put effort into it and heart into it i doubt anyone can do anything except if you're maybe really rich and maybe very powerful which which is not our case <laughs> so, you, so you say it's all about money do you mean the scientists are sort of milking it for grants and and that sort of thing uh, sorry, you, you were saying that um, it's all about money, and it's obviously not about tourism money because uh, no tourists fucking dare go to Reunion Island anymore. But when you say it's about money, do you mean it's scientists chasing research grants and that sort of thing? I think so. Yeah, I think so. There's a lot of uh, a lot of research on on things that are, I'm, I'm sorry, but you ask any older fishermen that that live live there for generation and generation, they'll they'll tell you in five minutes what these guys have been telling you in five years so it's kind of it's kind of useless and it's been a lot of money um uh a lot of money invested in this research and to what end for now nothing what's interesting about this particular debate is uh kelly slater came waiting on uh, on your side on the debate which is pretty rare for kelly because you think kelly would be you know pro shark in this instance but because it was such a unique case with the with the bull sharks fucking taking over the marine, marine zone. He, he was pretty ballsy to come in on that side, right? Man, you know what? Every, every 
I'm a pro, I'm a, I'm a shark lover too. I'm an animal lover. Like that's the thing. Like anyone that's have has a decent, anyone decent will understand the situation and the problem in Reunion. And Kelly, I mean, everyone knows that he's pretty, he's pretty on point. Everything he says and he's pretty intelligent guy. He's done a lot of research. He's, he's always on point, you know, and not only Kelly, but I've had a lot of other guys that, you know, know a lot about sharks and everything like guys like Mark Healy and a lot of like a lot of uh, other, um, other surfers that, you know, when you talk to, we talk to each other and these guys are just, understand the problems straight away it's just it's not like i like i'm sorry if, if maybe uh with my my, my shit english I, sometimes i have um i have a problem um explaining maybe the situation but it's not that hard to understand when um when the when when the um, when the issue about the issue in reunion so kelly kelly jumped in he actually just commented commentated one photo one of my photos and um you know he said he was he, he thought it'd be a good idea to call sharks um to do a shark call um in certain areas um you know but it wasn't just you know never said like just you know just kill all the sharks and take the ocean back like not at all and that's definitely not what what all the surfers think um but I think it, he understands the he understands the issue in reunion and he took a lot of beatings and a lot of shit for saying what he did but that's coming from all these fanatic um fanatic organizations that you know it's really easy to attack a small surfing community in reunion island which is a small tiny island that you don't even see on the map you know so it's easy to attack this kind of community so that you just just so that you can tell a good story about how much of a how much you're saving the planet but there's a lot of a lot more terrible issues in the world like china japan asia like france france there's millions of sharks that's being killed in france per day by mistake in nets and there's nothing you hear about that in in reunion there's been there's been talks about targeting a certain species of shark that are not protected only if it gets closer to only if it gets close to the beach to reject them and it's become a, a like a full story that you hear around the world on how surfers are criminals and stuff like that and you're just like what the hell like there's issues in america everywhere like it's, it's just it's just too hard to attack all these big nations. It's way easier to attack a little, little Iranian island, you know? It was classic. Uh, Paul Watson from Sea Shepherd got stuck in you, and um, he said that you and the French government were actually complicit in the attacks. Yes. So I pressed charge against that because that's sewn up me. Anyone that knows me, I'm, 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 I'm like, I'm the, I know how to balance myself. I know what to what to what to um, what is right with nature and stuff and i've never killed a shark in my whole life i mean and this guy is pretty much saying that if there's attacks if my brothers have have, have uh i've got killed in rain and island it's in part my fault hello yeah. yeah yeah we just lost you for a second but yeah fucking, fucking yeah yeah so, so it's in part my fault so i pressed charge and i was like man and you know what 
before that, I was the biggest Sea Shepherd fan ever. Like what these guys do, and you you watch all these all these uh, movies and stuff about saving do uh, dolphins and whales and sharks. You're like, oh my god, these guys are pirates. These guys are like amazing people. And then after that, you just see the real faces. That it's for them. It's kind of whole. It's a whole. Um, it's a show. It's a show. It's a marketing show about doing a. And I was really disappointed. I was really disappointed because that's disrespectful to all the victims, all the f victims' families. And I've taken a lot of shit. I've done some stupid shit in my life. I'm I'm used to get to take to people giving me shit. I'm, that's not a problem. But when when it when it um when it goes to my family and my close ones and my friends. Uh, uh, so the victims' families—that's that's becoming a problem to me. So, so yeah. But the, but the thing is, that's that's coming back to to what I was saying before. Paul Watson, all these guys, you know, they've done some great things, but they are really protected by some really powerful people, and I'm not powerful. So all I can say is my little Rainian Island surfer's voice and say my opinion. That's it, and it didn't matter. You know, but at least I, I have uh, the right conscience, and I, I'm, you know, I've always been real myself, and I think I'm, I think I'm fighting for the right, for the right thing. And you actually won the case in court, is that correct? Oh, I lost the case. <laughs> I thought you, I thought they found that he ha he had you know uh, slandered you, but they didn't didn't give you any money. Well, yeah, kind kind of, but that's you know, I mean. There was just no case, to be honest. That's just the case just went nowhere, and and I, I had, I mean, I don't even want to talk about that because that's kind of like, uh, that's kind of, uh, I think I, I might get in trouble just by talking about that, you know. And I've I've had enough trouble lately. <laughs> <laughs> what what's, what's been happening lately? No, no. I mean, in my in my career. <laughs> oh, in your career, right? Hey, so yeah, I'm in a point now that I'm I'm just really happy with the way everything is. So I want to keep it that way. Is everything on a nice, smooth trajectory? Yeah, and it's pretty rare, you know. <laughs> My whole life's just been like, <laughs> like, uh, like ups and downs, and mostly downs, but a few ups. <laughs> so you've so you've had a pretty amazing, um, a very colourful life, a very storied life. So from a young age, um, your parents moved from Reunion to Madagascar, and your dad had um, a little hotel on the beach. That's right, huh? Yeah, yeah. So. So my parents um, gave birth to myself when they were pretty young. So uh, my dad was uh, just, you know, he was a surfer, just doing little jobs here and there, but definitely not a stable position. And my mom either. So, so they decided to move to Madagascar, which is close to Reunion. Um, my mom's from Madagascar, so it's uh, it's much easier life over there. It's a, you know, it's really poor country. So they thought we could have a you know, just try something different. It'd be, we'd probably have a, so they, they got a, a job offering as a, in a little hotel in Madagascar. So right in front of the hotel, there was a little pass, but there was a right and a left and absolutely nobody surfing. So here and there, you could, you could have a couple of South African uh, sail, sailors that would come, come over and stay for like two days and they'd be surfing. But other than that, it's just me. And we teach a couple of the kids from the village to surf, uh, also, so that's pretty much how um, I grew up. Also, I grew up 
you know, just fishing and surfing and um, never really went to school. Uh, I, was, I, would, I would sell uh, fruits. I would sell um, um, just like statues that, that I'd find in the forest and sell it to the tourists and make a bit of money. And yeah, that's kind of, you know, really, really basic, simple life. I was never the, the kid that, you know, that starved, not at all. My parents always made sure I had a really good, really good life. But it was a really good experience to to grow up that way, and uh, it's definitely helped me through my life. And you, I believe you had um, one uh, surf movie, Searching for Tom Curran, and you just watched that on repeat and repeat and repeat. Yeah, yeah, we had so we had a tiny TV and a, 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 a VH, VHS uh, tape. So I had that Tom Curran, The Search, and uh, Kelly Slater, Black and White. Had that's the only two movies, and I would watch it probably. 30 times a day every single day for many years and every time I was looking I was trying to do the same thing because I didn't have anyone to look look to uh, to look up to so my dad was was an okay surfer but I mean I didn't we didn't have any really good surfers I mean at all so like I said you'd have a couple of South Africans here and there would come uh, sail but the, the only um, my only example that I had was those tapes so I would watch it and I would try to do the same on the wave. And but yeah, was, at, that, at that point, there was, you know, like being, being a professional surfer was, wasn't even a question. It was like impossible, mission impossible. You probably, you couldn't have had two better um, instruction uh, uh, tapes to watch, could you? Tom Curran for style and Kelly in black and white for, for you know, for, uh, for airs and shit. Yeah, 100%. And that, these guys are legendaries and and when i um so when a few years later i i was lucky enough to to get sponsored by quicksilver so my parents put some money together and they sent me to france to surf in the quicksilver pro junior in cabreton back in the day so you were nine years so old then were you i was nine years old yes yeah. so there was a there was a the under 12 division and under 14 division but there was still a lot of a lot of the best kids were in it and uh, I remember I, I won both divisions, and I was nine. So I, uh, that's where everything started with Quicksilver. Because yeah, they, they lost their shit over you, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. They thought you were the fucking next Kelly Slater. Well, they, it, was, it, was, it was really different because it wasn't like, all right, like, we'll sign you. Here's a check. Here's a check. And just million-dollar check and just surf. No. Like, I didn't actually get any money until I was like, so I was like 17, probably. Like, it was more like an investment, Quicksilver did. So Pierre Agnès was the one back in the day who was in the team managers of Quicksilver. And people thought he was crazy by doing that, by uh, investing in a nine-year-old kid. So by when I, so when I was 10, 11 years old, uh, he sent me on trips in like Hawaii, Australia. And then I did the boat trip when I was 12 years old with Tom Carroll in the Mentalize. Um, and all that was kind of an investment and, and they decide, they ask us if we're, we're keen on spending some time in Sydney in Australia. So that way I could, I could learn English and I could really, really uh, improve my surfing because Australia, I mean, at that time and still is now was number one country in the world for surfing, you know? And uh, so, so, so we moved to Newport in Sydney and, and then lived there for many years and become really good friend really good mates we still to this day with all this crew from newport and i've learned a lot about competing and 
And lucky enough, enough, there was a lot of guys in Australia that let me compete in the Australian events, like regionals and stuff, even though I wasn't allowed. They still let me in. Um, uh, Adam Hennessy. Adam Hennessy, uh, you know, shout out to him because I was just a little Frenchie. And when I was like 12, 13 years old, I, many events I wasn't allowed to surf in because I didn't have an Australian license. And uh, these guys let me in and that was really good for me. So you would have been, because you're, you're from the class of 88, the same age as Geordie and uh, Julian. So you would have been competing against Julian in all those regional titles and so forth, huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Julian, uh, Geordie, Ben Dunn. Um, you know, back then there was a lot of guys too, you know, all the, all the Tom Rudd generation. And there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of good surfers. Um, and, you know, for me, like winning like a local event, there was there was so many talented kids that it was it was already huge you know it was huge and i remember sorry i'll i'll charge my phone it was already huge so i remember like coming back home and my dad was like holy shit jeremy you just want this like local like little local surf club event now but but the, the level was so high that it was the most um i was just so proud i still have these little trophies where it's just like for me, that represents a lot from where I'm from, going to Australia and to actually win a couple of local comps. Like, it was, uh, it was huge. It was huge for me. And that, and that like you're saying, you know, Avalon and Newport, you know, back in the, in the late 90s was kind of the center of the, almost the center of the surfing universe. You had Potts yeah. living there, BL was there, Tom was around. Yeah, there was... Man, there was a lot of lot of good surfers in that area. So many guys from Manly, Narbin, uh, Avalon. Like everything was that's that's that was the spot. And all the all the local events here there was just like the level was was incredible. And you know, like thinking back now, it's just like uh, I was even though I was the youngest, and then I, then and then I kind of just you know a bit later when I was. 13 or 14 that's where I kind of saw Julian for the first time and and then we started doing the pro juniors and stuff but but yeah the level was incredible I I I just uh, I was stoked to make like a quarter final that for me that was like a, that was really positive you know I was like I made the quarters and you know you'd, you'd, you'd lose against guys like um, Luke Munro or stuff and or Travis Lynch and guys like that you like that was huge you know yeah uh, it must have been so, and then and then when you were seventeen, you um, you hit the tour. Yes, I I honestly that was that was a pretty big shock to be honest. I didn't expect to make the tour that quick. Um, just like so, the, when I was six, when I was fifteen, I did a few QSs and kind of got flogged in many events. I made a few hits here and there, but just definitely not ready and when I was 16 that was my first real year and uh and then I won the QS so yeah so my 16 17th year so I won the QS and I I that was a big shot I did you won this QS when you were 16 years old well I was 17 by the time the season season finished but yeah <laughs> it's pretty that fucking wild yeah, yeah. yeah crazy it's crazy I I couldn't believe it I I didn't expect that really didn't expect that so I was like so it was cool because um, when I got on tour, I, there was a lot of talks and a lot of shit about how um, that I would just get, I, I, you know, I'd get flogged on the tour. I'd just too young, too skinny, not good in big waves, not powerful enough. Like, 
like uh, all I could hear and, and read in articles was just how much of a punching bag I'd be on the, on the tour. And, and that was really motivating for me. I, that just really got me going. And uh, I got on tour and I was, I was like a dog, to be honest. I, was, I, was, I just really wanted to prove everyone wrong. And uh, I can, I was, now I'm kind of thankful everyone, everyone said that because I don't know if I would have been that motivated if I didn't hear all these uh, negative uh, talks. Uh, so on my first year on tour, I finished eight, uh, eight in the world on CT, and I couldn't believe that either. To be honest, like, like in all honesty, I, I thought I was dreaming. I was, I was beating guys, like my, my heroes, my idols. I wasn't showing that they were my idols because I was, I was pretty, like, pretty stubborn and tough and kind of just like a, yeah, I, I wasn't the kind of kid that would just, just smile at everyone and, and I, I was just, you know, I was there on the mission and, um, and yeah, I, I, I couldn't believe. So what I wasn't showing at the time is I, I couldn't believe what I was doing and where I was on the ranking and the surface that I was beating. That was incredible. Who were some of the, who were some of the surfers? Um, you said you were heroes that you beat in that first year. Yep. Yeah. Get you back. Yeah, sorry. So tell me, yeah, who are, who are some of those surfers you beat in that first year when you just went, fuck, I just beat so-and-so and he's a hero, et cetera? I beat Kelly Slade on my first year at Chopu. It was like tiny, small Chopu, but um, I beat him and that was, that's pretty, that's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty big deal. Uh, you know, guys like CJ Hobgood, um, Man, all of them, all of them are my heroes. Like, I, you know, so, uh, like Corey Lopez and guys like that. It's just like, you watch these guys in movies, you know, and then all of a sudden you're in the heat and all of a sudden you beat them and you're like, wow, like what just happened? It just, everything just happened so quick. Um, so, so then there was a lot of pressure too. People were like, all right, first year, like, end the world. So now you got to go for the world title. And I, it kind of got, got to me where I was like, man, I, I really, as much um, of a motivation that I had, I wasn't that confident. So I wasn't showing that, but I definitely didn't, never had the confidence to be saying, all right, this year I'm going for a world title. Never. Like every, every year that I've started on tour, I was like, all right, my goal right now is to requalify. And then I made a lot of top tens and I, I was happy with that and won a, won a couple of events. But still this day, like, I don't consider myself like, like one of the best surfer because I, I just, I don't know. I, there's so many good surfers. It's just, it's too, uh, too much. All these guys are too good. It's amazing. I'm just looking at the, uh, the final rankings from, um, I guess it was 2005 and um, uh, 2005 or 2006. What is it? 2007. Okay. So first year was 2007 and he finished 7th. Uh, and, um, you know, there's Mick, there's Taj, there's Andy, there's Bobby, there's B. Derbeach, Pancho Sullivan, Damien Hobgood. It's amazing that you're only 32. Like, it feels like you should be fucking 50 by now. <laughs> I know. I mean, so if this year, if the tour was on this year, that'd be 14 years on tour. That's, that's a lot of time. So uh, it's a lot, man. It's, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm making a living of surfing, which is, it's it's the best best job in the world like it's 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 crazy but the whole you know i've i've 
the, the whole part that I was, I, I kind of had, I had a hard time dealing with is the whole, uh, a lot of time I thought I was mis, uh, misunderstood, you know, uh, maybe because I had a, a pretty, I kind of had a big mouth and I like saying what, it, the way it is. And sometimes I, I made mistakes and sometimes I said the right thing, but uh, you know, I definitely have no regrets because I, I was definitely real the whole time. But, um, but yeah, looking back, man, it's just been a lot of ups and downs. It's crazy. I mean, even when you look at the ranking, like one year I'm top 10 and in the year after I'm like requalifying with the QS and the year after I'm top 10 again. And the year after I'm like missing out on like three events because I'm suspended and it's just shit like that. It's crazy. <laughs> what did you get suspended for, for the three events? Um, it was in, in J Bay. I, uh, yeah, I kind of lost it in J Bay. It's, I was in a pretty negative, uh, state of my life at the time. And, um, I had, um, I had like three or four really close, close call in a row. Uh, and that was the fourth one and I just freaked out. So I don't even know if I deserve to win that heat or not, but I just switched my brain just switched and I rushed the tower and I just, yeah, I was pretty much screaming at everyone and broke a few things and, and yeah, I just, yeah, I went a little bit too far that time and I definitely deserved to be suspended, but it just had to come out. Did you, uh, did you get into the judges tower? We just smashing stuff in the competitors area. No, no, I, uh, I actually went inside the judges tower. I, yeah, it was actually inside the, the judges tower. But you know something that um, that's kind of messed up is um, is in the whole report. You know, and uh, they say that I actually got physical on on judges. Like I I throw a punch, which I never did. I actually punched the wall, which is a big difference, and uh, that got me into a bit more trouble. And a, and a six thousand dollar fine, I believe. $6,000 fine, but mostly the, the two events after I, I was uh, Choku, and that was my favorite event. And that's the year where the waves were absolutely pumping, 2014, I think. Oh, for uh, the year with Kelly and John John. Yeah, that's the year. And that year I was suspended. So for me, for me, that was, that was a hard one to swallow. And the other US Open. Oh, what happened at the uh, the US Open? No, no, that's where you got suspended from. Oh, you got suspended from the US Open as well, oh, that, that particular year. Yeah, you didn't, yeah, yeah. didn't miss much there, did you? Nah. Fuck <laughs> <Like> that. <laughs> so, so being a um, ostensibly a Frenchman, even though you're from uh, Reunion by Madagascar, living in Tahiti, it must have been um, uh, sponsored gold with Quicksilver in those golden years of you know the the mid two thousands. Because I know I know Mickey Picon did really well. So you must have um, accrued a bit of cash in those golden years. Is that how you can is that how you can afford to live in the magical island of Tahiti? Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I was, uh, the, uh, for, for a long time, I was the only European uh, representative on the Euro, Euro surfer and coming from France. And, uh, um, you know, I was a top 10 surfer, top 10 surfer in the world too. And back then, you know, those golden years, if you're a top 10 surfers, you'd make quite a bit of money, um, no matter where you're from. So um, I definitely made the most of that. Uh, it's definitely not, not the case anymore, but, uh, yeah, you know, it was simple. My contract was pretty simple is, you know, as long as I make hits, as long as I win, as long as I get top 10 and stuff like that, then I'd get bonuses and I'd get good contract. If I start losing and losing and losing, then my contract would be, would be, uh, would be a much lower. 
So, so yeah, you know, that, that was my motivation too. You know, people say, you know, money is not the thing and stuff. You know, when you come from nothing, trust me, financially, money is really important. And, um, you know, I took care of my whole family and everything. And, and my whole, um, my whole thing when I was younger is that I was always, I'm, trust me, I had fun. I, I had some good times on tour, a lot, lot of raging, a lot of partying, a lot of everything. But I always told myself if I work hard young, I, I can, I can cruise when I'm, when I get older, which is kind of what I'm doing right now. I'm 32 years old and I've made some, some smart investment and I don't need much to be happy. And the investment that I've, that I've made are making me a lot more mellow now, you know, on life, you know, I want my kids, um, I want my kid to, you know, to have a, to have a good life, a better life. And, uh, so yeah, so hard work, hard work. And when I was, that's probably why the reason why when I was 17, I qualified because I didn't want to, I didn't want to lose time. I wanted to make as much money as I could back in the day when, uh, when I was younger so that I can kind of be more mellow now, which is the case. Now I'm still competing. I'm still trying to do my best. Like I'm still hungry, but financially I'm, I'm, uh, um, back then I would go in the water, try to win a hit to get that check, you know, I, of course, I'm competitive and you want to beat that guy, but you want to win that prize money. Now I'm doing it more for pure love of surfing, of surfing some of the best waves in the world with one other guy out, which has never happened anymore. All the, all the spots in the world are, are, are full, are, are, are full of people everywhere and then the vibe and then everyone's just like, yeah, it's not the same anymore. So I'm lucky enough nowadays to be surfing some of the best waves in the world with one other guy out. So for me, that's priceless. That's that's really my goal right now, and that's what I'm really enjoying. How cool was it to win the uh, the Quick Pro last year in Hasegawa? Oh, that was the best. That was the best, man. I uh, I always say that it would be a dream to win this event, but I never actually believed that I would win this event because because I've never even made it to the quarterfinal in. 13 years on tour, never made it to the final days. The only event that's never happened. Uh, I've always put a lot of pressure on myself. Uh, France is probably the hardest event to win because you never know what to expect. One day you can surf a little left rib ball. Next day you can surf a big eight foot barrels. Uh, next day you can surf like big, like a big high tide, like out the back, fat right. Like it's, you got to adapt in every condition. So I don't know, this year was just kind of like, it's almost like, it's almost weird how easy it was to win that event last year. Like, no kidding, like winning an event is the hardest thing ever. But it seemed like everything that I was doing, waves were coming to me. Everything that I was doing, the luck was on my side. I don't know if I had good karma. I believe in energy. I'm not a, re I'm not a religious person at all, but I kind of believe in good energies and everything. And I feel like everything came together that day and nothing could go wrong it was it was pretty like still to this day sometimes i think about this uh this win that win and it's i'm tripping i'm tripping on how just uh like unreal the whole this, this whole day was and how it's kind of like it was kind of like a dream i was like on a dream like on a i was on another planet and it's uh yeah i was it was pure love and the man winning in front of your family and winning you know 
to that's kind of like that was kind of like the way to thank everyone that supported me you know through all these years like even when i was doing stupid shit like people were always supporting me and that's kind of the way to um to to say you know thank you and this is for for everyone for my family all the people that make sacrifice for me and uh and then man and then the, the party after that was just <laughs> went on for three days of just like oh it was all time man i i, I want i want to go back to that that moment <laughs> who was the ringleader of the party was it roland from uh, rockford oh uh, man it was it was all over the place you know um france won uh world cup uh two years ago and i was in the streets of hosegal raging you know the whole country was raging it was it was like it was chaos on the street it was it was the craziest party that went on and on well when i won in uh the event in hosegal it was pretty similar like they closed the streets of uh Hossigos, um the center and they put this dj right in, in the middle of the street in this roundabout and and just every everyone was coming from like bordeaux toulouse spain would come to party and it was just like it was it was unbelievable the whole the whole vibe was crazy smiles everywhere and and for me it was kind of like wow like i can't believe i this is because of me like you know because i felt like i won but we all won at the time so it was really a special moment what's what's your relationship with hosegal you have the is it the fantasy factory in hosegal that's um a, a skate ramp and a jiu-jitsu joint is that correct yeah yeah, yeah. so i have a i have a like this factory this old factory that i made into this uh training facility so there's a there's a skate ramp with foam pits in between so you can boost like right uh, you can boost airs and land in the foam pits and train. So most of the kids, I got like all year round, I got like 300 kids that come re- regularly train in, um, in, a, in my factory. So one side has a, has a mat. So there's a lot of yoga classes and uh, jujitsu classes. There's even boxing classes sometimes. And, um, but yeah, mostly that ramp with uh, the, the foam pit is, uh, is where all the kids love to go training. So, so they have their certain um they, they do specific trainings on that and it's pretty crazy because i see kids nowadays in hospital they can do full rotations and and they can't even do a cutback at the end I've, I've, yeah, it's crazy and uh, i've had some of the, their coaches and parents like coming at me going wow like you can't believe how good they're doing it that's because he's been spending time on your rep like training full roads and airs and different grabs and everything it's it's uh yeah it's cool it's cool to see it's, it's funny last time i was in hostel i couldn't believe how many parents or coaches were filming kids all on the beaches you know how many much fucking beach there is there it was insane there's yeah. so many little mini pros yeah well hostel is kind of like the capital of european surfing kids come from all over europe to come to hostel to to make it happen nowadays do you still have a place there apart from yeah. the factory yeah yeah i have a house in hostel yeah no. Yeah, it's always been, uh, it's funny because Tahiti is obviously your dream to live, but Hosegal is my sort of retirement plan. Just have a little summer house yeah, yeah. in uh, Hosegal, just sort of July through to October. Yeah, there's a lot of Aussie guys actually living in, um, in, in Hosegal now. There's an there's a Aussie, Aussie community there. And it's pretty funny. It's all they're, all, they're all really, really cool people and they love it. They love, they love Hosegal and they, they love the lifestyle and the wine and the food and the waves. It's just... Yeah, everyone's everyone's falling in love with the with the lifestyle there. 
It's pretty cool, except when winter. I remember Matt Biolas told me that he, th- he said uh, Hossegor in winter is like the Blair Witch Project. Because you know how it's so dark and the fucking... No, I agree. Shit. I agree. You know what? But the thing is, when you ask uh, uh, the locals in Hossegor, like locals that, you know, born there, grew up there, their favorite time of the year is in winter. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like they yeah. love their because Well, pretty much nobody's there. And uh, you can get these really cold, like, really good waves sesh with not many people out and i don't know they 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 really love it uh which i understand before i used to hate it because it's kind of like it was really it's always dark and sometimes you don't even see the sun for like two weeks because it's kind of like stormy and rainy every day but then you kind of get used to it and you have this little routine of of uh you know having uh just get away with all your mates and and just (laughs) Yeah, just you just forget about the weather when you start having one, two, three, four, five glasses and <laughs> and five <laughs> bottles, and and then it gets it kind of gets repetitive. But yeah, I, I mean, if I, if I was there for winter, I'd probably turn into an alcoholic. But good, and the wine's good, amazing. Good five bucks for yeah. a really good bottle of red, huh? Yeah, yeah. Hey, so tell me, um, how did you get? Uh, what's your thing with reefs? How did you get so good at uh, or so comfortable at least in um, surfing reefs? Chopu pipe. Kind of came natu- naturally, huh? I, I, I never did any specific training on these kind of waves. I, um, growing up in Reunion, we have a lot of similar waves, reef breaks and Madagascar too. It's kind of just reef breaks. Um, I think um, I think it just really came naturally, you know. And I was when I was a kid, I used to, you know, I love learning. I, w- I used to watch every little video, see their technique, how they, how they stall, how they, how they, you know, pull in, like all that. I was just a big fan of like watching clips and watching every little details. And then when I was lucky enough to go on surf trips with guys like Kelly Slater and many other surfers, I, I was asking many, many questions. I must have been a pest because <laughs> I asked a million questions about about what fins they're using and what what tail they use and if they like 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 uh stalling like every kind of technique i used to love asking questions what was the best bit of advice someone like kelly gave you about surfing um reefs <clears throat> well kelly was always i remember when i was a kid used to tell me you don't need to ride big boards uh in thick barrels i remember he was telling me that and i was like oh okay okay wasn't really sure what, what, how he was he was uh, he was coming to that, but then a few years later he proved that he proved that he was, you know, won the pipe masters I think in like big pipe or big backdoor on like a five nine or something like that. Won chopu in like little five nines and stuff. So he proved that he was doing. But I think it's not everyone that's capable and have the skills of of this guy. So he used to tell me a lot of things about that fins too. I remember this one time he told me. Um, uh, to be more stable in the barrel, uh, to put a bigger back fin. And that's like, we're talking like 20 years ago huh? and that's still stuck in my head because I still do it to this day. Um, when I have, uh, when I'm not too confident on my board and you know, like I'm a bit undersized, I just put a bigger back fin. I feel like it holds better in the foam ball. And, uh, and it, that's helped me, you know, little things like that. That's helped me a lot. Do you like saying, um, uh, people being uncomfortable at places like Chopu, you know, particularly in heats. Do you like seeing the fear on their faces? Well, yeah, I'm, you know, my face is my face first. You know, I'm 
the, the day before, I mean, I don't sleep at night when I know there's a big swell to choke around. I can't sleep, just a whole adrenaline and everything. Just like, um, I shit myself, man. <laughs> I shit myself, you know? And I think anyone, a lot of guys are in the same boat. Um, but uh, I, I think once you're out there, you just, you have to just click on, you just have to switch into this, uh, this beast into like, just put your head down and just go into whatever's coming. Um, I remember I was for a long time, I, I was kind of like that. I just like any wave that was coming my way, I wasn't scared. I didn't see the, I didn't see any fear at the time when the wave was there. But now with more, now that I'm a dad and I've had a lot of accidents and everything, I think twice before doing something stupid. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a lot more calculating about what wave I'm going to go and everything. But for sure, when I was younger, uh, there was a time in my life where, man, I, I don't even know how I was doing. I was definitely not ready in terms of uh, like physically ready. Never spent a lot of time underwater. I, never, I was never good at spending a lot of time underwater. And I was, I was going into really pretty solid waves and, and I didn't really, I didn't really uh, understand the, you know, the, the possible consequences that could happen. But yeah, I guess that's just, you know, when you're young, you just go for it. But I, I, I'm, I'm definitely not like that anymore. <laughs> what was it five years ago when you got smeared on the reef in Sumbawa? Yeah, that was in Lake Peak. What happened was, then? Uh, yeah, yeah. That, believe it or not, that day was only like three, four foot. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's it's kind of kind of bad, man. It's uh, it was packed all day at high tide. It was so crowded. I didn't want to have to deal with the crowd, so I had the I had this idea of this perfect idea of going out when it's low tide because there was no one out. <laughs> so 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 dumb. And I remember I went out with Wiggly, Dantas, uh, Kanoa, and Matt Benting. And um, these guys were doing all these airs with the wind on the right, and I'm I suck at doing airs, and I. I did this air and I did this full rotation and I spin so quick. I didn't know where I was in the air. And next thing you know, I'm landing head first on the, on the reef. And uh, luckily, uh, Wiggly went on the first wave and he, he's the one that, that got me out of the water. And then, uh, yeah, it could have been, could have been a disaster, but um, yeah, Wiggly got me out and, and, and yeah, man, was, the, the helicopter only, only came pick me up like the day after 24 hours later. Uh, so I lost memory for like two hours. Uh, yeah, it was a scary moment because you don't really know what, what's wrong with you. And, you know, don't know if your brain's like, I didn't really give a shit. I had all these cuts in my face, but that's not the issue. The issue, my main issue was my brain. I was, I, I was just hoping that my brain was, was fine because I, I wasn't thinking right that, that whole 24 hours. So how big was the wound? Uh, so, so yeah did this uh, operation but it was like it was coming like from like this whole side of my my head into here under my under my ears and uh what happened is uh when i hit the reef my my brain went like that so it, it actually hit the reef here but my brain started bleeding this side so the opposite side um so i had this little rock of blood that's stuck in my brain for for many years and i've actually i haven't i haven't checked it the um I haven't actually went back to check it. I should check it. I haven't went back for like a year. But the last time I checked, it was still there. So that's why I kind of, the, the doctors, you know, recommend to, for me to use a helmet the more often that, that I can because 
if I do hit my head again that same way, it could be, could be, could be really bad, could be dangerous. That's why I wear a helmet a lot. Oh, uh, what sort of helmet? You wear a gas helmet or? Yeah, yeah, gas helmet or whatever, whatever I can get. You know, it's <laughs> whenever the waves get a bit uh, hollow and sketchy and especially in hits because I know in hits I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to push my limits. So, so instead of free surfing, free surfing, I'm going to be more calculating nowadays. I'm going to try to choose, you know, probably not the gnarliest wave, but the wave that's kind of got the potential to, to let me out. But in the heat, in the heat, you just go for your life, you know, like if, if you just, you just go for, you try to get 12 points and, and so you, you put yourself at a lot, a lot of risk. So when Chopo is eight to 10 or pipes 10 to 12, are you just, yes. Cause you know, you have such an advantage over a lot of the guys on tour. Uh, not really, not, not anymore because nowadays everyone's so talented. Um, I think maybe have a, everyone's so skilled, like the skills that, that these kids have nowadays and are incredible. But I think, but with my experience, maybe I have a little bit of advantage when the waves are, uh, inconsequenced. Uh, like Chopu Pipe because they don't have much experience. So they definitely have the skills, but but they could think twice or three or four times. And, you know, I've been in that situation before where you just like, holy shit, tomorrow I might have a hit. It's going to be 10 foot. Uh, what's going to happen and this and that. So it make you make you think a lot. So, um, so that's when I think uh, that's when I, I need to make the most of it. That's when I, I need to take advantage of this um, of, of when they they doubt so, because if not i mean these 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 kids would flog me all the time so so yeah it's you know also you know compared to when i first got on tour when i first got on tour it's still pretty rock and roll on tour you know like there wasn't many coaches and corners and everything nowadays every every surfer's got their full entourage around them like coach nutritionist uh, physio uh, managers families it's crazy so i'm I guess I'm kind of old school because I kind of do it myself. I kind of travel around by myself. And I, uh, sometimes I go with friends like Michelle Burez, you know, we're kind of similar. There's not many, many of us left that's kind of just doing it the, the old way. Um, sometimes I bring my family too, which is epic when I do that. But uh, it's changed and it, that's making really hard, you know. Like back then, I remember when I first got on tour, like you get a hit and you know the night before you get a, someone like Chris Davidson or someone like that and you're like, all right, these guys went mad all night. I might make the most of it today because it might be lack of energy. <laughs> Something like Imagine that. Chris but, Davidson. Uh, yeah, well, him, but many others. And I love these guys, man. I, I miss these guys on tour. Trust me, it was way more fun when these guys were on tour. Um, but uh, yeah, now... All these kids, I mean, you see them winning an event. They won't even have a beer after it. They won't even, like, get together. They'll change their flight and train for the next event. They're machines. So surfing has become so professional, which is good, you know. But at the same time, when, when you've known surfing the way I've known it like, uh, back in the day, it's, it's definitely different. It's kind of lost that uh, camaraderie. That, that we used to have, you know, back then everyone used to get together after a, a, a full day of comp competition, win or lose, they'd get together at the same uh, same place, same bar or restaurant, have a few beers, talk stories, and that's really never happened anymore. So there's still a couple of guys, few guys on tour that, you know, we get together, but sometimes you just want, you know, you just, all the pressure's coming down, you lost your head, you're devil, and you just want to 
have a few drinks and you kind of look at your repertoire and you're like, holy shit, like, all right, this guy's gone. This guy's gone. This guy doesn't drink. This guy is boring as fuck. Uh, this guy. And so you just like, you end up just, yeah, you end up just having, it's, it's not as fun. In the, old day, in the old days, you would have had Dave would have had you in the head like, right, damn it, it's going to fucking die. <laughs> yeah, well, Dave, but many others, man. It's all these guys, man, they, 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 they made the sport. They made the dream tour. That, that was the dream tour for me back in the day. Who else, who else was fun apart from Dave? Who else was fun, man? There's a lot of guys with fun. You know, all these guys. Were still kicking around when you were there? Sorry? Was uh, Matt Hoy still kicking around when you were on the tour? No, 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 he wasn't there. But there was, you know, all like Wado and Bruce and Andy. These guys were always, always there, always on fire. But there was always some, there was like Brazilians, Aussies. Um, man, I have, I have bad memories, but there's, there's, a, there's a lot of them. But like you have a bad memory after going to a party with Wado, Andy and Bruce. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, and I have a lot of stories with these guys, man. These guys are crazy. These guys are animals, man. They, and the crazy thing is, the next day they paddle out and just show the whole world how to surf. And that's—I <laughs> <laughs> remember being a kid watching that, going, "Wow, these guys are my heroes!" Like, do that all night and surf like that all day the next day. That's like, that's like super superhuman. These guys are superheroes. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a second. They were. What is so on your second year on tour? Oh yes, there's Bruce Irons, Chris Ward. Who else is uh, Mick Campbell? Liked a bit of a party. Mick Campbell was a legend. I love Mick Campbell. <laughs> then there was guys that were more mellow, like the guy, the first guys that really traveled with their families, like uh, Danny Wills and 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 them. And these guys were big helps, big big help. And um, uh, no, there was guys like Oki was still on tour. Um, then that whole generation of uh, Snake and Tommy Witts and all these guys I, I, I had a good crew, man. I'm just looking at the tour ratings and um, there's one of the years, uh, I'm not sure what year it was, oh, 2008, you finished 10th. B. Derbych was the runner up to the world title. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Yeah, B. was a machine. <laughs> it was a machine until, until Pipe fucking snapped his pelvis in two, huh? Yeah. Um, my first final that I've made in the CT was in Brazil. I don't remember the year, but Bead won that event. And I got second. That was the first time I made the final. Yeah. CT. Speaking of partying, I remember you telling me that when you won the, your first pipe masters in 2010, you partied for two years. Yeah, man. <laughs> I feel like that's the problem with me. That's been my main issues in my, in my, in my career. You know, I haven't won many events, but the few events that I've won, I just, you can be sure of that if you look at the, the the few events after that, I'm pretty much getting getting flogged first round, like hero hero to zero, because I just I don't know, just so happy and enjoyed so much and just full raging mode that that after that the first the the, the few months that that follow that I I usually really suck. <laughs> <laughs> Are you the sort of guy that gets found the next morning with your pipe master's helmet thing, fucking just passed out in the sand with your bottle of tequila? Oh man, I you know what? After that first pipe masters, I I, I remember I won seventy five grand, and I spent like honestly like half of it in like one month. And you know, when you when you're a kid, that's that's a lot of money. What did you buy? And 
nah, just just from like partying and just I just loved like I was I was um I just was just sharing my 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 stuff with everyone with everyone and anyone just just wanted to just share this I don't know you know it just it's kind of like you work hard all your life and then you win something and you're young you're like wow like I'm no matter what happens now in my life like I have this I have this I have this victory and um my name will be remembered for the you know in in the surfing history and um and just stoked so you just you know, I've I've never you know when I was a teenager I wasn't doing the things a lot. I never really had a teenager's um, normal teen. I wasn't doing what teenagers do normally. You know, I was just like I was training hard. That's you know that's one of the main reasons why I qualified early too. So when I was finally on tour and stuff, I really want to enjoy too. So I, I was making the most of it. So you've, 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 the, the events that you have won have been some crazy events. So you've won the Pipe Masters twice, you've won Chopu and you've won the Quicksilver Pro. In 2017, I think it was, you, you squashed Gabrielle's title and then you beat John John in the final on a buzzer beater. I mean, that is that your highlight of your career? Um, I think beating John John, uh, beating John John in the final, Yes, that was definitely one of the highlights of my career. Beating him in backdoor at his home home spot, and he's the he's the, he's the world champ in the last second. That's that. It doesn't get any better than that, you know. That's. I think uh, France was definitely my favorite event to win, but my the event I was the most proud of winning was that one, the one that I beat John in the final because I just came from far away and there was a lot of talks and the hype was around Gabrielle and John John. You know, there's a lot of talks with these guys and, and I was kind of under the radar and I just doing my, my part and just surfing and making hits and, and make it all the way to the final. And then I kind of ruined, I, I kind of ruined the party in a way, you know, but saying that I beat Gabrielle in the quarterfinal and then John John won the title. So, so that's what, you know, I got together with John uh, later and uh, John John was like, you know, like I was like, you can't be too pissed at me because... Because I beat Medina twice, two years in a row. And I felt bad for Medina too, you know. Um, I respect so much this kid. I think, I think Gabrielle is misunderstood. Like, I've, I've, um, uh, I still love people, like, talking trash about, about him. But he's actually a really good bloke. You know, when you get to know him, he's actually a really good guy. And um, so, yeah, I, I just felt bad. But, yeah, you know, surfing is surfing. And that's, you know, it's, it's our job. Our job is to win hits, is to... So, so I had to make it happen. And you beat you beat Gabriel to win Chopu too, didn't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. You must have a fucking voodoo doll that looks exactly like you, mate. Sticking pins in it. Man, Gabriel is, you know, how hard it is to beat that guy. It's <laughs> beat I beat him maybe like three or four times. Like it's it's radical. Like I, I don't know. I, in 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 uh, Chopu in Tahiti, I was probably the smarter guy in that that final because he was definitely the, the the surfer of the event. He was getting nines and tens this whole event, and in the final, I just I remember he usually uh, Gabriel is pretty aggressive in the water at the start of the heat. He um, you know he pushes you deep, like hassles you. Uh, that's his game plan. And but for me, I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna let go. And usually people back down, and I didn't back down. I remember we paddled all the way up the pond. We, we weren't even at the spot anymore. We weren't even at choke. We paddled so far. We weren't even like webcast cameras weren't even seeing us anymore. And none of us would let go. And then he actually let go. And I was like, you know what? 
he's the guy. So I thought if this final goes into a five-minute final, you know, because no one wants to let go, then I might be the lucky guy who gets that one wave and actually worked out that way because he, after 15 or 20 minutes of like paddling up the point, he kind of just, he let go and he kind of took a little wave and, and rushed back to the peak, rushed back to, you know, to, to, to where the, the event was. And, uh, and then that's when I rushed back like as hard as I could. And I had priority because he took the first, this, that shitty little wave. And one set came and I got there just in time and I got a 9.8 and I got that one bomb and that was it. And there was no more waves in the final pretty much. It was like two or three waves, but not enough. So, so it came down to one way, really. So, so yeah, I think, you know, he was definitely the best surfer of the event. But uh, I think in that final, I, I, um, I had a good game plan. So you, you said that, you know, Gabrielle's misunderstood. Can you relate to that as someone who perhaps has been misunderstood by, uh, by the media and, uh, and, and by um, surf fans? I think he just doesn't give a shit about about media to be honest and that's that's a problem itself because media i mean when you don't give a shit about the media media will will constantly talk shit about you and gabriel's got he's on a mission he wants to win he wants he wants to win as much as he could as he can the guy's a millionaire the kid's a millionaire he's a good looking bloke he has his mates his friends he has them at home you know he doesn't need to make friends on tour or anyone he's he's pretty respectful to everyone he's always been respectful to myself um but yeah i don't know he just he's kind of living like a like a king in brazil and that's because he's doing work during events and you like it or not he's just doing what what he needs to do to win and of course he's definitely not stealing stealing of anyone because he's he's the best surf one of the best surfers in the world um, and he just takes care. What I respect a lot is he, he takes care of his family. He really does. He's like he's he takes care of his whole family, and he's he's a family guy. You know, like you see him like in uh, how he how he is, how he reacts, how he lives with his family. You're just like wow. Like the kid is is actually really humble and really respectful. And for me, that's a that's a good um, that's a good point. You know, I think you see someone's. Uh, someone's uh, real face when they're with their family that's when you see who they really are and yeah you know he's he's um i think he's a good kid and you know what at the same time even though if sometimes he's said a few a few um a few things that that he shouldn't have said or stuff like that maybe because he's young and you know when you're young and you're that famous and everything comes straight away and you become a millionaire and the world champ and you got your whole country of fanatic Brazilian behind you, it's pretty hard to deal with too. So I don't know. All I have is respect for him. Do you see a little bit of yourself in him? I mean, apart from the world title bit, but, um, you know, being young uh, and famous and, the, you know, the weight of a country behind you? Not really. No, Fr <laughs> the French are, are not as fanatic as the Brazilians. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have as much pressure as I've never had as much pressure uh, from the French that that Gabrielle has from the Brazilians uh, but no I don't really see myself in him he's I can't I don't compare myself to 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 him at all he's like he's next level uh, but I think uh, dealing with pressure I think that's something not anyone can do and uh, when you have so much pressure it's normal that sometimes 
you make a few mistakes, which is, which I've made before. Yeah. So are you still, um, are you still in the jujitsu? Not really. I used to do it a lot, but I had a lot of injuries from jujitsu and you know what? I had to stop because it was, it was, uh, disturbing me. It was, it was taking, it was disturbing me for my surfing. And I was like, all right, you know, like the day I stop competing, I'll get back to jujitsu. But yeah, for now, like I'm concentrating on, on what's making, making me a living, which is surfing, not jujitsu. Cause you, you, I think you're a blue belt, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Blue belt. So I've, I've stopped for like maybe five years now. Yeah. But I still really love it. I still watch it. I still enjoy it. Uh, sometimes I still roll a little bit with uh, Michelle and uh, it's with, uh, with friends, but I, I do it really rarely because I'm, I'm pretty skinny and pretty skinny guy. I, I'm, I'm all, I'm all broken, man. I'm all fucked. My back's fucked. My ankles are fucked. I'm just, all, all I, ha I have to take care of my body now. I have to like, really concentrate all my energy into one event. That's all I have. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know Kelly's a little bit into Dewey too. And um, who would win a no time limit UFC bout between you and Kelly? Between who? Between you and Kelly. Oh, I don't know. We've actually never rolled. I don't know, but it'd be interesting. But Kelly loves it. Yeah. Um, he'd probably have some good game plan. <laughs> <laughs> He'd probably do something really smart on you where you like, hang on, the guy is that intelligent? He'd probably get a few tricks on you where it's more <laughs> of a, that's you know, Jiu-Jitsu is about how smart you are, game plan, and it's kind of like a vision, and he's a visionary. What was your, uh, what was your money submission? Uh, I was getting submitted a lot, man. <laughs> I was actually really good at defending myself. Because I was always the smallest guy uh, when I was rolling with everyone. So I, I, I think my strength was my defense. Did you have a, did you have a lightning Kimura or something? Or someone, you know, someone thinks they've got you and then you got them? No, I wasn't good. I wasn't that good. <laughs> you looked pretty good the time you choked out um, Sterling Spencer. Can you tell us that story? That's a doozy. Uh, I, actually... You know what? I've actually never, it never happened with Sterling Spencer. I, it was another guy that was there. It wasn't Sterling Spencer. I had a, you know, I, I had a talk with Sterling Spencer, but it was another guy that was there. And I don't remember who he was, but he was part of, he was one of his boys. And yeah, that night I was on a good one. And, and, um, and I remember that whole video Sterling Spencer did at J-Bear where I'm, 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 um, this kid running after me and one, autograph and he's like Jeremy, oh, Jeremy. <laughs> it was actually like the first time I watched it it was really funny like I was losing it and then I don't know and then people started taking it seriously and I started getting a lot of hate from it I was people like actually like insulting me from saying telling me how much of a dick I am and how much of a uh, of an idiot and I don't respect kids and I'm not an example and stuff and I was like and honestly, like seriously, like I took a lot of shit from it. And I was like, wow, like, so I kind of was like, man, so I kind of like, I, I, was, I got frustrated and I was like, man, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to message him and uh, I'm just going to say, man, next time you do that, at least like, at least, uh, you know, tell, I, I don't know, like say it, it's a joke and I don't know, do it some kind of other way because 
I'm copying a lot of shit for it. And people are getting insults from all over the world saying how much of an idiot I am. So, and he pretty much like told me like deal with it or like, like he was pretty disrespectful in his answer. So I was like, all right. So I, many months went by and I was at the surfing pool and I saw him and had a talk with him and, and this, his boy came up and came up and he tried like defending, defending him, I think. And, I don't know. Everything was was kind of just a blur, but that was at the time where I was, yeah, I was, I was on the, I was, I was, animal man. <laughs> so so next thing you know, I'm down, I'm choking, and uh, and uh, yeah, it was a mess. And there was like cameras everywhere. It was on the red carpet. And I was like, oh man, Jeremy, what, what have you done again? Like just, <laughs> it's just you've made a mess of yourself again. Shit. But yeah. Uh, actually, the, the week after I actually talked with uh, Sterling Spencer, he did a movie. He did uh, So he did this premiere at the Surfer Bar. And, uh, and he actually invited me. So I didn't go. I don't think I went. But I remember I saw him and it was all good. You know, I was like, man, I don't care. I mean, I, I love this kind of joke and this kind of shit. But just the way he answered me, it was really disrespectful. So I had to, like, make a point. <laughs> it, was, it was a classic episode. I think... Um... I don't think any photos came, even though all the cameras are there, no photos came out of that particular event, huh? Of the choke. I, I, to be honest, like, good thing it didn't. I'm glad it didn't. But yeah, it was right there, like right there, at the, you know, where they make all these, all these like shows, stupid little interviews with all the cameras and the red carpet and stuff. Like, it just happened right there. <laughs> it's pretty funny. But I guess back then there wasn't as much social media and everything. So. If, if, you know, if there was social media, Instagram and stuff, it would have been all over Instagram. That's for sure. I imagine the views on that thing. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, be before you go, um, this, this talk of the WSL having a, um, you know, a final day, you know, top five or top six, surfing it out at, at Pipe or Chope or whatever for the world title. And um, someone in our comments did all the sums and you would have been a, if, if that um, format had, had been in for the last, you know, 10 years or whatever, You'd actually be a two-time world champ. Really? Wow! You should have done it before. Yeah, should have, should have done it in 2009. <laughs> but what do you what do you think of the idea of a, of a one-day surf off like that for the top five or six? I don't know, man. I like the idea of having all the events in a six-month window. I like that idea, and that way, you know, for QS surfers, or for the guys that haven't requalified, you can really concentrate on doing the CT and then turn the page and concentrate on doing the QS. I think that's a great idea. But the whole playoffs, I don't know, man. I just, I just can't, I just don't see the, just the guy that's killed it all year might lose the title in a one-day surf-off on a wave that he might not like, you know? It's kind of, it's kind of harsh, you know, I think. But in saying that, I don't know, you know, it, in the business side of it, I think it's it's interesting because it's going to make a lot of uh, a lot of buzz around the whole thing. You know, like TV is going to be interested in showing surfing and everything. But it's just you know, it's a, it's a long year, man. It's a hard work to be number one ranked surfer at the end of uh, at the end of eleven events. It's just it just sucks if you're that number one guy and you don't win the title. It's just. I think it's pretty harsh because it's a long year. It's really, it's, um, it's, it's uh, physically, mentally really tiring. And uh, you put a lot of effort into each event. So I don't know, you know, and 
we'll see. Might be epic. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, I just, I just think if that was, if I was that guy, I'd be, I'd be pretty bummed. So, if, so um, you party for two years after you won the 2010 Pipe Masters. How many years do you think you party for if you won the world title? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll retire straight away. That's not even. I'll be retiring straight away. That's not even the question. I actually, you know what? When I won France last year. I remember before going on the podium, I told my girlfriend, like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that I'm done, I'm retiring. My girlfriend's like, no, 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 don't do that. Like, it's too, it's too, like, you'll regret it. It's like, you're just saying that and stuff. I was like, no, no, I'm done. Like, I, that's it. Like, that's all I got. Like, I've, I've just, I've just won my dream event now, you know, my, I don't, I kind of don't care what's going to happen from, uh, from now on. And then, and then she's like, no, no, don't do it. You'll regret it. And then uh, I actually didn't, didn't say it. I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> Yeah, you would have woken up the next morning and said, I said, what? Fuck. It's like, um, yeah, yeah. It's like Kelly's yeah, retirement at like, uh, J Bay. But- Remember that when, uh, yeah. when uh, Parker retired and Kelly goes, I'm retiring too. Say hi. Say hi. Bonjour. Oh, hello. <laughs> oh, bonjour, chérie. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I know you're busy, Jess, but um, thanks for your time and uh, thanks for the little no tour of your joint in Tahiti. No problem, guys. I hope I didn't talk too much shit. Nah. <laughs> didn't talk enough shit. Good, I love good when you to talk, talk and uh, see you guys soon. Yeah, take it uh, easy, man. We thanks. Could for, we could go for hours, huh? Talking shit. Uh-huh. <laughs> thanks, man. Okay, see you, listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube